Hello and welcome to Killing It The Crime Cost. It's your host Meg. And your host Lux. We're doing a funky little dance over here to share a microphone. Because Meg, why is that? I didn't bring mine. <laughs> <laughs> what a twat. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, so we're literally like leaning in and out sharing <laughs> one microphone. So if it sounds weird or far away, that's why. Maybe it sounds like a room. Is that going to make an effect? Just run past the mic really quick, run across the room. <laughs> yeah, I ran across the whole room. It's not like I just did a head bob. <coughs> also, I'm poorly. Yeah. Apologies for the coughs and Meg, apologies for the snot. I'm so going to get it all sharing this microphone <laughs> with you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good. Okay, so today we are doing, in case you weren't already clued in by our conversation, we're doing it together in real life. So <laughs> that's fun. First time since the first time we recorded together. Look at us go. What are you doing today, Lugs? Well... Megan, I don't know if you know, but today's Christmas. Well, it's, n- it's not today. Shut up. Let's pretend that this is like live or something. The snow is falling. Is it coming out on Christmas Day? Yeah. <laughs> so, we thought we'd honour sweet baby Jesus. And um, I'm going to do some Jesus crime. Um, that is crime in the name of God or beca- because God um, told you to do it. Now, just a disclaimer here. I want to clarify that I will just be focusing on Christian God um, because a lot of the articles that I looked at were using some of these cases as examples of how Muslims aren't the only ones who commit crimes in the name of their God. And it was a very much anti-Islamophobia thing. A lot it was it was unintentional, but a lot of a lot of the articles I read were anti-Islamophobia and showing, hey, when people have these deep-rooted beliefs and then something goes wrong in their brain, they might do a crime that's that they believe is motivated by this deep-rooted belief. So Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um basically I want to clarify, I'm not saying like Christians are bad or whatever, and I'm not set I'm not shitting on you if you are celebrating Jesus' birthday today. I just thought it would be fun to do a Jesus thing because it's Jesus time. Yeah, it's a theme. Get over it. It's fine. <laughs> Get over yourself. Get a grip. Enjoy your Christmas. <laughs> Good. Okay, and then I am doing something very depressing. So that's that. Um, do you want to do your? Do you want to do your depressing one first? Seeing as I might lighten it, I might make it worse. But I feel like it'll probably be a bit lighter because it's two short ones. Yes. Okay. So basically, the reason why I'm oh the reason <laughs> <laughs> don't move it. The reason why I'm doing my case is because when back when I was a little listener for the podcast and not taking part in it, I sent Lux and Sam a email with a story that I'd looked up that I thought was really interesting. Um, but it never got round to being aired, which is fine, because now it turns out that the story has been completed and they've caught the person who did the crime. And whilst that's all very exciting, I would just like to throw some shade at you lovely listeners. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you for listening. Um, the reason it didn't get aired <laughs> is because Meg sent it in to be part of a listener episode, which hardly anyone emailed in for. So we didn't do it in the end. So, you know, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's why. It's because literally, like, the week that I'm recording this, they caught the bloke. Um, so that's super interesting. So do you want me to just start? Yeah. Cool. Sorry, just adding to our Instagram story to show all the lovely people the tinsel in my hair and how festive this murder will be. It's very festive. Okay, so this is the story of the... Ba- this. It's called The Babes in the Woods Murders, okay? And it happened in Brighton in 1986. It's two schoolgirls that are both nine years old called Nicola Fellows and Karen Hadaway. Um, now, it happened in the Moorscombe area of Brighton, so specifically Wild Park is where the crime took place. 
two girls came home from school one day. They didn't go to school together, but they lived nearby, so they'd play after school. And they went out playing, and they never came home. They were found in Park Brighton called Wild Park. So it's a park just down the road from where they lived because they lived in Moorscombe. You can look it up in a map if you want. Um, they were <laughs> Sorry, that sounded just so shady. Like, look it up on a map. I'm not your geography teacher. Fuck off. Like, Literally, <laughs> I'm so done with everything. It's Christmas break. Leave the fuck alone. <laughs> no. But no, it's just it's just cool because you can see it. Like, it's super close by. Um, <laughs> okay. So we've readjusted. We're now sitting over each other so we can just lean in and have a chat. So, hope this. Oh my god! Podcasting isn't easy, folk. It's not for the faint-hearted. Is your iPad okay? Yeah, yeah, no, everything's fine. (laughs) Okay, right. How much this are you gonna leave in? (laughs) Like all of it. (laughs) Fuck fuck editing. It's my break too. Right. Put my iPad down. I think we're actually ready to start now. So, you can look this up. So, they lived in Moorscombe, part of Brighton, and um, they went missing in Well Park. They were found there in a woodland den, uh, curled up as if they were sleeping. It's really sad. I'm sorry. Can you clarify what you mean by den? Oh, okay. So, like, if you're American, the den is not the living room or your dad's wanking room, whatever, (laughs) like, uh, which I assume it is from all the American movies I've watched. It's like... A little like hut you'd made out, you'd make out of like wo- like logs and shit. See, that's what I assumed, but I was like, wait a second, is it, do you mean shed? Like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> His face. We're my recording room, air quotes, is actually my brother's room, and he's back from the states and just went, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he no- <laughs> noped out very quickly. Um, yeah, so it's like a little house that they've made out of um out of logs and stuff. I couldn't find it detailed anywhere. Because most of the articles that are around right now that I'm getting hits on are, oh my god, we just served the mur- solved the murder, and not like really, really detailed versions of the thing. But from what I can gather, it was their den they'd made together. Now, these girls were afraid of the, of the dark, which makes this a little bit weirder. So it, the families were worried when they didn't come home because they're afraid of the dark. They don't want to be out, you know? Um, and they were actually banned from playing in these woods. Na- Nicola's dad told her that's where the boogeyman lived. So they didn't want to go there. They were scared of going there, right? Oh, wow. So, when they didn't come home that night, the families took to the streets with uh, support from the local community, and they were not found that night. They scoured the whole area. Um, there's loads of like play parks nearby and stuff. Nothing. No sign of anyone else's house. Nothing. So then, the next afternoon, while um, searching the woods, hospital porter Kevin Rowland and his friend Matthew Merchant, um, who joined the search the previous day, made the discovery. Uh, so these two nine-year-old girls were found. Okay, trigger warning now. Um, it's going to be paedophilia, um, uh, child abuse, and just very unpleasant stuff. But they caught the guy, so at least that. At least we get to stare into the face of evil. Like, oh, it's chill, guys. It's chill. We know who did it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fuck's sake. So. <laughs> um. The two girls had been um, sexually assaulted and strangled. Um, and they were found lying together, like I just said. Now, a man called Russell... Russell a man, <laughs> a man called Russell Bishop, who was a petty local criminal, was actually well known to both girls and the families. He fell under suspicion from the start. He turned up to search with his terrier dog, Misty, who he claimed he had personally trained as a tracker dog. I feel like that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, My dog's still fucking wheeze in the house and he's five years old. Like, How do you train a dog to be a tracker dog? I know it's possible, but like... I feel like terriers aren't well known for that. It's bloodhounds and stuff, right? Also, 
like, have you ever met a terrier? They're little shits. Cute, they're little shits. Yeah. The dog was called Misty. So he actually had gone to Karen's house, one of the little girls, and uh, borrowed her sweatshirt to like use to get the scent out of. It wasn't him who found the bodies, clearly, because um, he <laughs> trained his own dog. <laughs> now, this is quite crucial. So the bodies were... F- <laughs> yeah, go on. Misty, more like missed them. <laughs> hey. Take that, you dumb dog. No. <laughs> um, okay, so when the bodies were found, Bishop was quite close by, and he ran to the scene with the police officers. Now, this is crucial. The constable on site recalled that Bishop never actually got close enough to touch the girls' bodies. And other witnesses from the site have confirmed this. There were some young girls who were there as well. Now, Bishop was obviously accused because he was being a bit weird about the whole thing. And his statements contained lots of discrepancies and inconsistencies. Um, He was arrested uh, three weeks after the girls were found. He was charged with the crime December of that year and went on trial a year later. But they buggered up the trial. So, despite forensic evidence linking Bishop to the crime, prosecution blunders led to him getting off after just two hours of the trial. That was all it took. So, there's a couple of ways that it was listed that um, they messed up. First of all, prosecutors failed to accurately record the temperature of the bodies, which meant they couldn't get the the, um, time of death correct. So, if they're trying to pin him down for doing it, they need to know what time it was. And they couldn't get the time because they hadn't recorded it properly. I didn't know that you had to do that with bodies, like record the temperature. That's super weird. Like, what do you do? Stick a thermometer in them, like one of those meat ones. Like, sorry, that's really graphic. Probably not that. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely a medical term for it. I don't know if they still do it like that. You can probably ask your mate about that, actually. Oh, I could. But this is part of it. Is this is 32 years ago. Um, things were not done in the same way that they are done now. Do you reckon it was more like they always talk about in like the older cases? They always say like, oh, they were cold to the touch and yeah. stuff like that. Do you reckon it was just sort of that? thing rather than an actual measure i've literally never heard of anyone measuring the temperature of a body well i i know that for bodies that are older they look at the kind of bugs that are in the body right Mm -hmm. because there's certain lava which doesn't start to multiply or even come out of egg form for a certain amount of hours but this is england we're talking about here it's not hot it's not that kind of climate it seems to make sense to me i can't think of what else you would do Mm. um but that's just one thing they did so not only did they not record the temperature of the bodies correctly, um, they hadn't measured the size of the strangle marks that are around the girls' necks. So we said that they, he strangled whoever has strangled these bodies. But they usually what you would do... And with hands. Yeah, with hands. And you can tell that from the shape. But normally what you'd do is you'd measure it, right? You can probably, from a, if you're strangling someone to death, your fingers are on there for a long time and they cause bruises. You can measure the size of their fingers from that. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bother. So they had nothing to compare Bishop's hands to. Um, there was also blood found in um, one of the girls' underwear, and they failed to get any clear uh, evidence uh, as to whose it was after analysing it. Things were not the same back then. F- this is still very early into the dawn of forensic um, analysis in terms of police work, um, and it wasn't uh, cut and dry back in the 80s. So that's part of the reason why they really struggled to get this sorted. And, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like Brighton's, like, London in terms of, like, it's kind of smaller. That The crime is a seaside town, so it's a lot of, like, you know, theft and stuff, I'd imagine, rather than, uh, you know, child murder and paedophilia. Yeah, it's not like London where you've got a history of, like, Jack the Ripper and serious serial killers. It's it's not like that. It, it, it was until it, you know, expanded a little bit, a sleepy seaside town. The... 
most damning piece of evidence was a jumper that was found by Moorscombe Railway tracks. Okay, so it's a little bit off the off from where the park is if you look on a map, but it's on his way home from the park because Moorscombe, the, the road of the avenue leads up to Moorscombe train station. The police tried to pin it on him saying that was his jumper, okay? However, he denied it. His girlfriend then went and told the police, actually, no, that is his jumper. So they were like, cool, you can testify against him. Let's get you up on the stands. As soon as they get her into the box and use her as witness, she flips it and goes, no, it's not his jumper. I've never seen that before in my life. Mm. Yeah. And they were like, you snake, <laughs> you snicker snake. So they were like, well, fucking what now? And he got let off, right? And that was that. Now, interestingly, uh, in February of 1990, so this is what... Four years later, Bishops is still living in the area, and he gets arrested. So what he did was, he was arrested for the attempted murder of a seven-year-old girl. Attempted murder, kidnapping, and indecent assault. He picked her up while she was roller skating in the Whitehawk area of the city, so far away from the original crimes. He took her in his car, took her to Devil's Dyke, which is um, like a national park outside the edge of... Yes, it's funny. It's Dykes and it's Brighton. Good one. Devil's Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. I don't know what you're talking about. So it took her to Devil's Dyke and he strangled and molested her and left her there for dead. Now, it's quite... It's not like, I don't know, the Brecon Beacons or the Blake District. For those... Uh, uh, for our American listeners, it's not like, I don't know, Yellowstone Park or a proper like, big national park. It's a small hill basically <laughs> it's not like the most desolate place in the world it's not like you're leaving her in the desert but it's not great considering she's seven she somehow survives goes home and correctly identifies him to the police they arrest him oh my god that's yeah amazing. it's awesome isn't it he was arrested charged and found guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison um and he was allowed to parole or apply for a parole after 14 years. He applied twice after the 14 years were up and was denied both times. Now, during this trial, he was asked about the two girls in the woods at the beginning of the story, um, and he changed his story and said that he did touch them after they were found just to feel for a pulse. But as I mentioned earlier, there were a couple of girls who were there and also a police officer who both... Um, said under oath there's no way that he got close enough to even touch them after they died so it sounds to me like he it's been 14 or like 20 odd years and he's going oh no wait this is at the trial so how long after after the girls murders was this sorry this is at least five years right so it's been like five or so years maybe he's starting to learn a bit about like you know not necessarily the specifics of touch dna but knowing that they can tell who's touched who and maybe he's changing his story accordingly to account for that because now he knows, exactly. maybe. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, because the whole jumper thing uh, earlier, because they couldn't work out if it was his or not, the DNA testing didn't go well anyway. They couldn't use it for anything. Okay, so basically, they had no DNA evidence to pin him on it. Um, but I think he may have been just trying to cover his tracks a little bit just in case. I don't know why he would mention that. You think you just keep your fucking mouth shut, but then mm. if you're that clever, you wouldn't do it in the first place. So, <laughs> you know. Six to one. So this is really interesting. I only found it out while I was researching today because I've been doing some Googling about it anyway when it came up in the news. After the trial, a BBC reporter got in touch with Karen's family offering to retest Karen's clothes um, forensically, right? For like DNA bits and bobs because they were doing some sort of show on unsolved murder cases in the UK, like cold cases. 
the reporter never got back to them, denied receiving the clothes at all, and never gave them back. When asked about it later on, he was like, don't know what you're talking about, mate. What clothes? Um, oh and, yeah. Do, do you think it's murderbilia? Is that what people call it? When you, like, collect murder trinkets? Oh, shit, like, maybe. when you, like, c- have one of John Wayne Gacy's paintings or, like, a toenail clipping from Gein's house or some Gross. shit? I don't know. I think he was just dozy and panicked. I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'd have to do some more research into it. I don't think it was a very big TV show because I didn't recognise it. But um, it will be linked in one of the articles that's in the show notes if you're interested in doing a bit more research about it. Now, people have reached out to the BBC for comment because in 2004, the police wanted these items of clothing to retest them, but they fucking couldn't because they were lost and no one knew where they were. But the BBC won't comment, so good job. So it was a BBC reporter? Yeah, BBC reporter. Fuck the BBC. Yeah. No, I'm not buying a TV licence. <laughs> Get out. If there are any radio jobs going in the BBC, we love and appreciate all the work you do. <laughs> and I love the Queen, for one. <laughs> she can live forever. She bloody will, won't she? Look yeah. at her. Wagging her out. Right. So in also, I found this. I wasn't quite sure how far in to insert this into the story. I don't know why they knew this. It was like, okay, if you if you ever if you Google this, all you'll find is we've caught him, and it's very unclear to get a timeline. I had to read through a whole bunch of different articles to try and piece it together. But apparently, Bishop punched Nicola in the face as retaliation for disrespecting his teenage girlfriend earlier in the day they went missing. These girls are nine years old. Very odd, isn't it? I just found that inserted into one of the articles. What did Nicola even say? Like, you're a poop head. Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? She's nine. What's she going to do? <laughs> What's she going to do? Yeah, literally. <laughs> what the fuck? So, yeah, that's odd. Now, this is really cool, actually, So I googled this. So, while he's in jail for this crime that he's already, you know, been arrested for with a seven-year-old girl, the law changes in the UK. They abolish something that was called, which was called the Double Jeopardy Law. Now, this Double Jeopardy Law means that... Now that it's gone, suspects can be tried for the same serious crime twice if there is significant or convincing new evidence. This changed in 2003. That's a poetry clap, by the way. Ooh, that's oh, that's fun. Do you not know that? I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, when you go to like poetry slams, you click instead and... Um, it's disrespectful if you've seen it. <sighs> I spent too much time with my partner. He loves poetry and I love it. Literally, that was my first reaction to that. <laughs> oh I was like, oh, let's click for it. Oh, oh. Damn it. <laughs> what am I? So, because of this, it meant that if they wanted to retest me at the stuff, they could. And if they found any, th- so for example, if they, I'll tell you what they did, and then you'll know, won't you? That's <laughs> is that how it works? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there was a DNA breakthrough in the case. It's come a long way in thirty years. This DNA um, testing and the whole science of it all. I'm not a scientist, but yeah. A group called Eurofins, who were the same team who helped bring in the killers of Stephen Lawrence in London. Really interesting case if you read about that one. Mm. If you are interested, have a little Google. Basically, it was a racially motivated case against a teenager who was waiting at a bus stop. Um, I think it was in 2011? I think I do know or this Or 2008? One. But yeah, it was big breakthrough. I think I do know this one. Wait might be I'll interesting to do that. Then. Yeah. Um, so they took another look at the whole case in 2011. They decided that actually the discarded sweatshirt on his route home linked him to the scene. There was something to do with um, paint flakes on the jumper were consistent with paint flakes found in one of the girls' hair or on her arm. They, t- they took something called a taping from Karen's left forearm Ooh. and it revealed what the Eurofins team are calling a one in a billion DNA match. Like there was no chance of it happening, but they managed it. Um, skin flakes matching Karen are found on the jumper that was discarded. And if you remember, 
it was on his way home. It was on his route home from World Park to his house. Um, based on this, the jury found him guilty and he's been jailed for life with no chance of parole. Yes. Yes, Meg. Learned, <laughs> Learning things. So yeah, that was really interesting. It literally happened this month um, that he was um, he was arrested last year because obviously these, these, these things take time. But yes, well, he's already in jail. They literally pulled him out of a cell and went, you've been arrested and put him back. So it's interesting. Very well done, my friend. Thanks. So. So. Let's, hear, let's learn about some Jesus. Yes. All right, boys and goyles and no things. Let's start that again. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Hi, Our listeners. friend Josh says ladles and gentle spoons. That's so Josh. Like, I'm not even surprised. But he's probably not listening to this because he hasn't listened to any of the new episodes with me in. So if you're listening, Josh, fuck you. <laughs> right. Are you in for some yeah. gnarly shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meg's turning away from my laptop <laughs> because it's what we're using to record, but also she cannot read what I've put because it's a secret. Okay, secret time. Over the course of less than two months in late 2014, the Ivory Coast had accumulated 25 child kidnappings and murders. Fuck. Yeah. This case was very underreported. I found the exact same quotes and the exact same details in all, like, five articles that I read, like, fully through. Um, like, nothing on Wikipedia came up, nothing on Murderpedia. And I'm wondering if it's because an, uh, it's an Ivory Coast thing and it happened in an impoverished area, or maybe people just don't find it that interesting, but think it is and you let me know so the police obviously they're a bit worried just a little bit worried about all these <laughs> all these kids dying and so they assembled a special unit and there were actually 1500 police officers and troops like military troops paroling all the risky areas um, and actually even unicef got involved um there's a quote here from one of the sources that will be cited um, it says, um, UNICEF has been critical of what it says is a culture of impunity in the Ivory Coast. The agency noticed that there's been a repeated failure to investigate crimes perpetrated against children, and it calls upon the government to address a general sense of scare in the population regarding the attacks. That's never good when they have to just be like, well, it's just like a general sense of scare. It's a scary place. <laughs> we need to get rid of the scare. We are scare. <laughs> yeah. So um, content warnings for this. Um, both of the cases that I'm going to do are actually quite graphic, and one of them involves children. Um, Merry Christmas! <laughs> they both involve mutilation of corpses. Oh Merry Christmas! God! Yeah. Um, so, most of the children's bodies that were found were found mutilated with, uh, with their genitals missing and all their heads missing. It's got to be the same person, then, right? Or same group? You would think no <laughs> however there are theories i will get into so um this is this goes on for uh, you know the two or three months towards the end of end of 2014 mm. um and then on the 25th of january 2015 a man attacked two young boys one was 14 and the other one was 10 they were getting water from a well and he goes at them with a machete and a soldier from the from a nearby base, because remember, they've got all these soldiers patrolling around. Yeah. So a soldier from a nearby base saw what was happening and stepped in, thank goodness. Mm. And th one of this kid described the event, and he says, the man came out with a machete, I fell down, he started to hack at me. Fuck. 
yeah, and you can see, fo- I, I mean, I didn't want to include them in the show notes, but they are in the links if you click them. There are photos of these boys all bandaged up. Oh. Th- they're fine, don't worry. But like you can see, he was going for the kill. One of them's got like a, a big wound on his shoulder, like clearly oh. where he was going t- for like the decapitation or whatever. Um, <laughs> however, here's a quote from a corporal um, from, obvi- from the army base that was nearby that says, fortunately, his machete was not well sharpened. <laughs> like subtle thing. Machete. Awful machete work. And then um yeah, so it turns out this man, he um obviously he gets bounced on by this soldier and then all the other soldiers come running and he, mm. he gets caught, right? He's called Drissa Koulibaly. Good name. Yeah. It's a pretty good name, pretty bad man. He's uh he's <laughs> thirty eight years old and he according to the mother of one of those two surviving boys. Mm-hmm. He confessed to at least three murders. Now, he later retracted this. Um, but what she said was that he said that he killed them for internet clients known as browsers. No. Do you know anything about browsers, Meg? I have heard stories. Of, I've heard stories about this thing happening on the dark web. Like, I know about all the stuff they do with, like, kids in Thailand. They recently caught an American guy, an Australian guy living in Thailand who was using the dark web to basically, like receive orders for children and he would kill the children like oh that kind God. of shit like a domino's but for people seven-year-olds fucking scary so yeah that's he, he's denied it but that's um it's one of the theories um again i can't i there was no, if anyone's got more information on this case i looked up i looked for documentaries i looked again on murderpedia wikipedia and all the articles were just saying the same thing so i don't know what happened to this man i assume he's in prison um but he yeah he so he you know he didn't get away with it but, again, there were 25 cases of missing children with their genitals and heads being removed from their bodies. So, what the hell is going on? Now, apparently, these killings were actually similar to killings that had happened before in the Ivory Coast. And these killings occurred before elections in both 20, uh, 2006 and 2010. Now, why do you reckon that might be, Megan? Are they killing the children of people that were voting for not the thing they wanted? Uh, no. What they were doing, um, well, what is believed yeah. was happening, was that ritual killings or using body parts oh my God, in ritual... Oh, to ensure that the person they voted for would get in. Yeah. That's fucking dumb. And apparently businessmen would do this as oh well so that they'd be profitable and they thought it would give them some sort of supernatural power. So there's a lot of this sort of spiritual like mysticism going on. And so they th- it might be that um, Koulibaly actually did only commit three murders. Yeah. And it was for the browsers that had contacted him on the internet. And they were like, yeah, show me pics of this decapitated, whatever. Mm. Maybe that was like what they wanted. And so he just did it. And it just so happened that either businessmen were doing it so that they could use the body parts in their rituals or the killing was ritualistic in itself or that year there was an election coming up so it could very well have been a bunch of different people doing it for the election that's so weird right um and so basically the reason that this is god related is because here is a quote from Koulibaly mm-hmm. when he was asked why he did what he did 
after he said about the browsers thing, later on when he re recounted his confessions, he said, God told me to do this. God told me to cut off children's heads and bring them to him, and then I would be made king. I told him that I didn't want to do this, but he insisted. And apparently, Koulibaly's goal was to win swords of royalty. And he said that he communicated with God by way of angels in the shape of crows. Um, Shit, angels, mate. Yeah, and then... <laughs> From one of my sources, this quote goes, God has been in the child-killing business roughly since he instructed Abraham to murder your only son, <laughs> Isaac, whom yeah. you love, which is a Bible quote. <laughs> so. Nice. Um, so, yeah, happy birthday, Jesus. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> who wants to hear about another Jesus-motivated murder? Let's do it. Me, me, me. So, yeah, uh, again, if anyone's got information on the Koulibaly case, that would be really interesting. He was known as the Axe Man of the Ivory Coast for a while. Ooh, that's interesting. I know. You think with a name like that, people would there'd be more information, but yeah, apparently people just don't give a shit. Whatever. Um, so this is a Canadian case. So we're, at, we're you know we've been international. We've got England. We've got the Ivory Coast. We've got Canada. I was about to say oh, Canadia. Canadia. <laughs> we've got Canadia. Um, so thirtieth of July two thousand and eight, on a bus in Manitoba, Canada, twenty-two mm -hmm. year old Tim McLean smiles at forty year old Vince Lee and asks how he's doing, and so Lee sits next to him. Very Canadian so far. Very like, gay. Ooh. <laughs> I think he's just being friendly, like, oh, hey there, how's it going? Oh, wait, that's Irish. Yeah, oh, that is Irish. I don't fucking know, do I? Not quite similar, though. Um, so, friendly guy, by all accounts, and um, Lee, not so friendly, uh, produces a large knife, and he oh. starts stabbing McLean in the neck and chest. That isn't friendly. It's very not friendly, is it? Um, so the driver pulls to the side of the road and evacuates all the passengers. Um, at which point, Lee decapitates McLean. Oh, shit. And he holds his head up to show all the passengers that are gathered outside the bus. That's so unnecessary. It really, it, it gets You've more unnecessary, it, mate. It gets worse. So, um, uh, so he's been locked inside the bus. And um, the driver and two other men are trying to, like, you know, I, I heard accounts chill of they, they, they're trying to chill him out. Now, I, I read different accounts. One was that they were inside the bus and they were like, they grabbed some stuff as weapons, but then Lee, like, chased them out with the knife. And one account was that they were outside the bus, locked it from the outside, and then were trying to, like, get him to stop from outside. Yeah. But your head's already off, mate. Like, <laughs> stop doing what? Waving it around. You'll see what they want him to stop doing in a second. Oh, no, that's terrible. So, um, after he shows off the head, he goes back to the body and he starts severing other parts of it and eating them. All in front of this crowd who's gathered around the bus. Um, now, this happened around 7pm. Yeah. And it wasn't until 1.30am, after a standoff no. with the police, that he attempted to escape through a window. He was eating it all that time? Yep. And he was saying things like, I can't get off this bus. Like, um, like God told me not to get off the bus. Stuff oh like that. Like, I can't. Um, so he was, in case you haven't um, gathered, he mm. was not mentally sound. <laughs> no shit. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, the whole time, 
he'd been eating the body and the whole time there'd been passengers outside freaking out not knowing what to do like your stuff's in there mm. you're just stranded you're on a bus you're going somewhere right and now you're just in the middle of Canada watching this man eat a body so they're all like crying and vomiting and just freaking oh, the fuck out course. so the police arrive and they're negotiating with him from like eight onwards mm. um, and it takes a fucking long time and then eventually he tries to escape maybe he gets full I don't know <laughs> that was awful I'm sorry um but luckily, Lee's escape attempt was shit. Good. And uh, the police just tased him twice and then took him into custody. They were just like, mm, don't think so. Um, so I read in a couple different accounts of uh, why he said he was doing this. One of them was that he said he had to eat McLean because God told him that he would die immediately if he didn't. So it was like a either I die or he dies type thing. Okay, yep. Um, but another one said that he had to eat McLean's body because God told him that McLean was evil and that was like the way of getting rid of it and like consuming the evilness and like purging things. it. No, I know. It doesn't That's really make so sense. Silly. Now, unfortunately, I was doing that. I read those in my preliminary research phases mm. and I couldn't find those quotes again afterwards. So they're not cited. Yeah. However, I... I distinctly remember thinking exactly what you're thinking. Why would you eat it if it's evil? Just leave it alone. But like, Fucking I think it was hell. more of a like, you know how like he's taking like a bullet for the world. He's taken yeah. all the evil and because God's talking to him, like it will be fine sort of thing. So I think that's the logic. But again, he's not mentally sound. So no, I'm not sure there is a lot of logic there. Now, here is the cracker. He's tried for it, for this um, eating and murdering yeah. malarkey. Um, he's tried for it a year later and he's found not guilty. Why? Insanity? Yep. Oh. So he's not criminally responsible due to mental illness. He's diagnosed with schizophrenia and he's sent to a mental institution. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. At least he's locked up. At least he's out of the way. Yeah, getting the help that he needs. Nope. February of 2017. He's out. How many years on is that? Um, almost 10. No, less than 10 because he's tried a year later. It's like eight years. Fucking hell. So eight years later, he gets released and he gets given a new name. So he could be, he's out there doing something now. He's out there doing whatever the fuck he wants. That's so hard for his family. Yeah. So basically, um, watch out, Canadians. Don't get on any buses. And um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, That's unbelievable. Yeah. So I found a bunch of other... Crimes. I might do that. I don't might do this for patrons actually, because I, I do have a list of other. Oh, yeah. Um, but they they were all short, and I thought, you know what? I'll try and focus in on these ones. But unfortunately, there wasn't a lot on these ones anyway. So, um, you know, whatever. It's Christmas. Give me a break. Um. So, yeah, we got one child beheading man because angels in the form of crows told him to, and then we've got one guy who's literally eaten a man for hours in front of a crowd. Because God told him that he, the guy was evil. Crazy, isn't it? Absolutely nuts. Um, so maybe if God tells you to do something, tell a mate. Just double check. Be like, does this sound does this sound nuts? And if they go, yeah, mate, then maybe you're a bit nuts. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Although St. Augustine thought that your conscience was the voice of God telling you what to do. So six to one. <laughs> but definitely, definitely call a doctor if you start <laughs> thinking you need to eat people. And if crows start talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Unless you're like crows Snow White or some shit. They'd be much cooler. They'd be like a falcon. <gasps> or a dove. Or owls. Owls would make sense. Yeah. They'd come to you at night when no one else is around and they'd be like, 
who, who bitch? <laughs> Eat that man. <laughs> no, that's not the angel. Remember, <laughs> now you're confusing them. Where if are we? Devil's Dyke. Anyone that's fuck off. <laughs> if you do go and eat anyone that's not our sensitive, you're not taking any chances. No, we are very strongly condemning that behaviour. Yes. Don't do it, kids. Nope. Right, Meg. Interestingly, the Yorkshire Ooh. Ripper also believed that God planned him to kill people. Or he said he did, and later on was like, nah, just <laughs> have a new one. He didn't actually tell me that. I just need an excuse. Well, son of Sam is literally called son of Sam because that's the dog that his neighbour was called Sam, and the dog was the son of Sam. So the guy is called Son of Sam as well. It never made sense to me. However, he thought his neighbour's dog was chatting to him. And that was like God's voice. Did you not know that? No. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about Son of Sam killing. Um, maybe we'll do a special. We should. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of serial killers actually that thought that God was talking to them. And all were doing it for religious reasons. And um, it's kind of gross. Um, I was on this Christian forum, which was saying, <laughs> I was reading out to Meg, which was like, God is love, all caps. Like, God is nothing but love, all caps. And I mean, whilst it was a funny post, because it was full of all caps and full of really random exclamation points, they do kind of have a point. If you yeah, are religious, right. then if you believe anything other than doing good with your belief, you're wrong. Sorry about it. Yeah, I've always said that, like, in terms of religion, you latch on to what you kind of already believe. So you know how you've got like people who are, who go, oh well, the Bible means that you can't be gay. So sorry, that's my reason for being homophobic. That's not your reason. You're already homophobic. That's mm. just an extra thing for you to add into your fucking mm-hmm. into your catalog of gay hating. Exactly. It's so the whole yeah. why don't you why why do you eat shrimp then and why do you wear mixed fabrics? You know, it's that entire it's that whole thing. Yeah. Um. But guess what? Nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to behead children. Or eat other people, Actually, as far as I know. The Abraham and Isaac thing, was that a beheading? No. No. It was a stabbing. Well, there you go. Well, it was, yeah, I, I don't think he actually did it, did he? No, he, 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 went, he went to do it. Oh, he was going to do it. He was a knife because it was a sacrifice. It, not a machete, so he's not doing it all wrong. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, God, do your fucking research. Do you have anything that you've been killing? You've got to say yes, because otherwise it's just depressing if you've gone oh, two weeks without doing anything well, good. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's been two weeks. Uh, has it not? Oh, well, it might have been. Either way, I survived a whole term, my first term at my school. And I'm alive, and I didn't cry. So, no, you since the first time. <laughs> I only cried once. So, yeah, good. What are you killing, Lux? Oh, I had one. Oh, you know what? It was going to be the getting my life back on track and moving house thing, but that fell through today. <laughs> Lol. Oh, you're still going, though. It's fine. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, no. You know what, actually? I spent a whole fucking day in the library the other day. That's crazy. I'm cracking out this dissertation. Good. It wasn't the library I go to anymore. It wasn't my university, technically. It wasn't even where I live. Um, half of it was editing one of, one of the episodes. But you know what? I was still there. Yeah, that's half the battle is getting out there and doing it. Peace out, motherfuckers. See ya. Merry Chrysler. Oh, oh, can we sing them a Christmas song? How about no? Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Christmas tree. That's been the Megan Lux Christmas Carol special. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next week. We promise we won't sing. Yeah, bye. Bye. Merry Christmas.
When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.